you have to give a some uh, thing to a coin, and by paying the coin. Very interesting. Yeah, well, aren't you a firstborn? Yeah, I'm the firstborn of potato kugels. Oh, come on, stop it. Firstborn of kosher cattle. Hey, see, you're a firstborn of kosher cattle. That's a, you're not a firstborn of a potato kugel. Firstborn of kosher cattle must also be... Smoky, can you let me read? Okay. From the coin. Otherwise, it belongs to the coin. A firstborn donkey must also be redeemed from the coin with a sheep. If it's not redeemed, it must be killed by breaking its neck. So, yeah. Basically, we're talking about the Bihar. This Bihar, uh, we're not talking about human being Bihar. We're talking about animal, Bihar, animal. Firstborn animal has to go to a Kohen. And, uh, yeah. If it's not, uh, if a Kohen, if it doesn't go to the Kohen, then you have to, you can't have any benefit from it. Well, Hashem also commands in this week's Parsha. That when a Jew, the Yiddish Yingle, when a boy hits the age, ouch, that hurts! Hey, well, what did I say wrong? You said hit. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, that means hitting the age. That doesn't mean like technically, uh, doesn't mean technically we're hitting. It means just, uh, we're just like, you know. Yeah, I understood you very well. Right. So, uh, anyways, Hashem commands that when a Yiddish boy hits the age of 13, he must wear filling on his arm and head. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Well, you put on filling every day? Yeah, I put on filling. How much time do you put on filling the day? Once. Okay, good. That's a very good answer to your question. Anyways, back to our program. Uh, Shmelky? Oh, well, uh, Sh Shmully here wants to read. Shmully, you want to read a little bit? Yeah, I want to read a little bit. Okay, so go ahead and read. This happened many years ago. Oh, uh, Shmully, that's not the way we read on the uh, radio, all right? We have to read nicely, all right? And clear. Okay. <laughs> this happened many... Uh, it's scary to read on radio. All right. Okay, so I guess I'm going to be back uh, reading. I don't want to read. Uh, Shmulky, I didn't ask you. I want to read anyways. Well, I'm telling you right now that you are not reading. Well, I'm telling you right now, if you don't let me read, I'm not letting you talk. Well, if you don't let me talk, I'm going to put you back where you came from. Oh, I don't want you to do that. Good. I thought you would say that. Anyways, well, it happened many, many years ago when a big tzaddik arrived in the Eretz Yisrael. In Eretz Yisrael, he arrived and he went on his trip to the Kaisal. Of course, if you don't know what the Kaisal is, in English, it's called the Western Wall and Yerushalayim. Well, at the edge of the pavement, he saw a score of beggars, a whole bunch of beggars lined up holding their cups out before them, pleading for a coin. Please, give me, give me. Give me, give me. Shmelky, I can't believe you did that. You don't need money. What are you, what are you saying, give me? Well, we're saying the story, Shmelky. I can't believe you. Look at Shmelky nicely sitting down, right, Shmelky? Yeah, I'm nicely sitting. Well, back to my story. By their expressions and their crying and their voices, I felt, the, the, the Tzaddik felt that they were all ashamed of their calling. And... And, yeah, continue. Well, it was then that a thought came to the Tzaddik. He stopped before the first burger and held out his hand in the greeting and said, Shalom Aleichem, he said. The beggar was startled. Huh? What happened? <laughs> oh my goodness. To be greeted so uh, nicely, especially by a man who was a big Tzaddik. Uh, Aleichem Shalom, he said. 
and firmly grasped the Rebbe's hand and held it out to him in greeting. Humbly, the rabbi asked, the tzaddik asked, will you do me a The beggar was, what? No one had ever approached him in the, this way. Everybody used to give him, okay, here's your coin. Or, you know, the, the yeah, that was in a nice way. Shmelke, what would you do if you came across a, a poor person who was collecting money? I would give him money. You know, what would, else would you tell him? I would tell him, have a good day. Great seeing you. No, you would not. Come on. You would be more mannerful than that. I know. I was just kidding. Yeah, what would you tell him? I would tell him, give me back my money. No, would you really tell him that? That's ridiculous. Come on. That's ridiculous. You would, uh, you better not be able to tell them that. They're going to get very angry at you. Uh-huh. What should I tell them? Well, I'll tell you what to tell them. You tell them, Shalom Aleichem, how are you doing? That You know, you'd be nice to them. Oh, uh-huh. I was making a joke. Yeah, I know so, but I was making a joke as well. You like making jokes? Um, not necessarily with you around. Why not? No, that's not. Shmuel, you were sitting in the Okay. Anyways, the Persian beggar was unbelievably, uh, you know, shocked to his boots. He must have had pretty big boots. Uh, yeah, he must have had huge boots. It must have reached his gotch kiss. Hey, excuse me. We keep it clean over here. No one had ever approached him in this manner. The great and honored rabbi was asking him for permission to give him a tzedakah. Wow, that's unbelievable. How can a tzaddik do that? That's so unbelievable. I can learn so much from that. Oh, can you really? Yeah. Well, that's why I'm saying the story. Well, why are you saying the story? Because that you should learn something from it. Well, what can I learn from it? That he had big boots? No, that he didn't have big boots. He was very friendly to the beggar. Can I finish the story now, Schmelke? Yeah, I can finish the story. No, no, no. Can I finish the story? Yeah, I just said you can finish the story. Okay, good. So I'm going to finish the story. Without interruption. Smokey, I just want to finish the story. And then you can talk all the time, okay? We have exactly 42 minutes, and you could talk for the rest of the time as soon as I finish the stories. The stories? How many? Uh, I don't know. I have a few. And uh, if I finish them on time... Well, what's on time? Uh, let's say 10 minutes before the time ends. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, okay. Yeah, so you're letting me. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, the Persian beggar was shocked his boots. No one ever approached him like this with such a great an honor. Wow. So imagine a tzaddik asking to give tzedakah. He could not understand it. With a careful, cautious manner, he towards his beggar's cup and said, With pleasure, the honor is mine. The Rebbe dropped a large coin into the cup. The tzaddik dropped the coin into the cup. And again, shook the beggar's hand, thanking him for the courtesy and kindness. Courtesy means like friendly. And taking ceremonies leave of him. Well, as we can learn from this Sadiq Mamish, it's an unbelievable story. That, you know, you have a beggar here 
let's say you're in a shul. You're in a shul and uh, you see somebody collecting. You know, the way to do it is, Shalom Aleichem, how are you doing? Now, I'm not talking about for a little little baby, a little six-year-old. <laughs> well, of course, you guys are not babies. Don't worry. Six-year-olds are not babies. But uh, um, we're talking about six-year-olds, let's say, to, through 15-year-olds. You know, we're, I'm not expecting a six-year-old to go over to a stranger because six-year-olds are not really allowed to go to strangers. And uh, if they do go over to a stranger, then it's, you know, not, uh, might, might not such a be good idea. But uh, for a person who's, let's say, over 13, 14, and you go to a person who's collecting money, and you say, Shalom Aleichem, and, uh, you know, it makes the person, really does make the person feel so good. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I, I try very hard. And so do I. You know, Shmoky, I told you I want to finish the story already. You're talking about other things instead. Right. So, can I finish? Yeah. Okay, good. So, anyways, as I was saying, I remember when I was a young boy. You were a young boy? Oh, yeah, I was a young boy, of course. How young? Oh, uh, can I finish? No. Okay, well, uh, then I'm going to have to take you back where you came from. Uh-oh. Right. So, anyways, when I was a young kid, growing up, I'm not reading off my computer over here, I'm... Uh, I mean, in a serious manner, I had a person in my shul used to give me candy. I was a very quiet kid and I was very, uh, you know, shy. And so believe it or not, if you kids out there, some of you are very quiet and are afraid to open up. So you might one day just end up being like me. They don't want to be like you. Hey, Schmokey, that's not nice. Oh my goodness! Wow, that was very bad, Schmulky. You know, you just made me—you just made me feel very bad. Yeah, that's the joke. Okay, well, anyways, so when I was a young boy, these uh, people who used to give me candy, and, you know, I used to, you know, yeah, of course, I always take candy, and I used to take it. I used to be so happy, and they said, "Have a great job." mean a lot to people if you say something nice let's say you meet somebody right let's say you uh, you know a person he has a frown on his face he's frowning and you know when a person is frowning that means he's usually not so happy but uh, you know sometimes when you say good morning or good afternoon that little thing even to your teacher even to your revy imagine that even And uh, have a great day. Hey, but your show's not over yet. No, it isn't over. Who said it is? Well, you sounded like you're finished with the show. Um, no, I'm not finished yet. Anyways, back to the story. I thought you finished the story. No, I didn't finish, Milky. Sorry. I still got a long time to go. I still got, a matter of fact, 30 minutes. 30 minutes? Oh, my goodness. What about them? Uh-huh. I'm not feeling too well. Yeah, so you better keep your voice quiet, okay? All right. Good. So, anyways, slowly the Rebbe continued on his way, stopping before each and every beggar and exchanging a few words with them and then extending his arms with his air of gratitude for a favor. 
a received favor rather than conferred. Nothing of this kind had happened to this to this thing ever happened before, and the beggars couldn't understand what's going on. I mean, here he is, a rogue, a, a tzaddik, going over to a simple person collecting money and saying, uh, okay, here you go, and here's your, the beggar. All right, Mr. Beggar, here's your uh, uh, Mr. Pauper, okay? Shalom Aleichem, how are you doing? Great, how are you? Wow, you know, and imagine that. This person was very shocked, and uh, the Rav says, uh, here, let me do you, let me, can I, you do me a favor and let me put some Sadaka in your cup. Imagine such a thing like that. That's unbelievable. Well, the Rebbe finally reached the castle and he thanked Hashem for allowing him to daven at the remains of the space of Mikdash. At that moment, one of the bolder beggars gathering together enough courage approached the Rebbe. Rebbe, please forgive me for asking, he said. For many years we sat here and no one ever behaved this way. I'm sure there must be some significance to your words and actions. Please explain to us. Well, the Rebbe stood silent for a long moment, lost in thought. Then he asked the beggar a question. Well, why do you sit here at the Kaisal and not somewhere else? Because the people who are on the way to the wall feel more uh, want to give. Exactly. Now I'm going to answer your question. All my life in Golis, I daven to Hashem to have Yushalayim. Thought about Yushalayim. I thought about Yushalayim. I, uh, you know, I always want to go to Yushalayim. In the center of uh, all my thoughts, I was thinking about Yushalayim. The and I was thinking about the Kaisal. All my life, I waited for the moment that I could daven directly to Hashem at the side of this house. Only last night, I reached uh, Eretz Yisrael, and I immediately made my way to Yushalayim. This morning, when I set out for the wall. I knew I could daven to Hashem when I reached it, but I had no way of knowing how acceptable my tefillahs are. So here is the tzaddik. He's saying, you know, I am. I'm going to daven here, but you know what? I want to make it better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to give tzedakah. If I give tzedakah, I'm going to give tzedakah, and then I'm going to, you know. Uh, then I'm going to be, my tefillah, never know, might reach a higher aspect. Uh, so, uh, what was I saying? Well, it was not I who did the favor by giving you money, he said to the beggar, the said to the beggar. It was you, you guys did me a favor. You did me a favor. What did uh, you do for me? You let me give the money and you accepted it. And that, you made me have a, a mitzvah in tzedakah. And by doing this, as we know, tshuva, tzedakah, tefillah, marvin, roya, sekizero. And uh, it was you who did me the favor. By doing this, you opened the gates. For this, I was grateful, as should everyone who enjoys the privilege of giving tzedakah. Before he dies, you are the men who hold in your hands the keys to the gate of heaven. You should be the proudest men, Yushalayim. And from that day on, the beggars at the wall, Yushalayim became unlike beggars everywhere else in the world. They are not the downcast, 
They're not uh, frowning. They're not sad like they beggars usually are. There's nothing shameful about them. They practice their art with a flourish, proud to accept the money from the people who are coming and cheerfully put a bracha upon them. If not for them, perhaps he would not be ready to approach Hashem at the Kaisal. Wow. Can you imagine such a story? Shmelki! 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 Guys, Shmelki fell asleep and uh, we're going to have to give me a moment because uh, right now Shmelki uh, fell asleep and uh, we're going to, uh, I guess we're going to have to wake him up. So, be with me and uh, we're going to continue right here. Shmuel, you want to read a little bit? Yeah, I like to read. So there was once a story with the Kassav Cipher. Uh, please explain, who was the Kassav Cipher? Well, the Kassav Cipher was a big tzaddik. Um, he, uh, yeah, continue. He was a big tzaddik and he was, uh, I guess he was something to do with the Kassav Cipher. Very good, Shmuel. Yep. He had to do a lot with the Chassam Cipher. Anyways, let's read the story, shall we? Uh, yeah. Shmelky fell asleep, Moshe. Yeah, well, Shmelky fell asleep because he was hard. He had a long day, right, Shmelky? I'm not sleeping! Oh, Shmelky, you woke up. Wow, unbelievable. Uh, okay. Well... We have a full packed house over here. We have Shmuley and Shmelky. And what about Beryl? Well, Beryl didn't come in yet. Why not? Because Beryl's not here yet. Is he coming? I don't know. Anyways, so back to another story. Talking about the Ksav Cipher. And this is called A Chip of the Old Tears. Hmm. I'm wondering what a chip of the old tears. I usually chip my teeth. What do you do, Shmelky? I usually chip my nose. Chip your nose? How do you do that? I don't know. I just bump my nose and it chips. Uh, what do you want it to turn into? Potato chips. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Well, during the Hassan Seifer's old age, when the Hassan Seifer was very old, it became difficult for him to give a share in the yeshiva. And he, he asked his Talmidim to appoint his son. So who was the Hassan Seifer Shmelki? Shmuley? Anybody? Yeah, I know. The Kassav Sefer was Kassam Sefer's grandchild. Shmelki. And I just said it. What did you say? I said the Kassam Sefer was the father of the Kassav Sefer. Really? Wow, such yichus. That's unbelievable. I wish I had a father like the Kassav Sefer. No, no, no. The father was Kassam Sefer, not Kassav Seifer. The Kassav Seifer was the son of Kassam Seifer. Ah, oh. Shmuel, you have anything to say? Yeah. Uh, Kassav means right. That's correct. Kassav means right. And his last name was Seifer, obviously. Well, I guess so. Um, so, any more questions before I continue? No, we're all good. Good, alright. So, back to the story. Wow, it's a good story. Did you read it already? Yeah, I read it. Oh my goodness. Well, I didn't ask you to read it before me. Well, I, I asked you to read it. it up. You have to read it somewhere. Oh, you're right. 
not nice. Anyways, back to the story. Kasam Sofer, a chip off the old hairs. During the Kasam Sofer old age, it became difficult for him to give over a share to do for Yeshiva, and he requested his Talmidim to appoint his son the Kasam Sofer. Now, as I said, Shmelki, the Kasav Sefer was the Kasav Sefer's boy. That's correct. He was very young. In his place, his Talmidim were dismayed by his suggestions. They couldn't imagine that the Kasav Sefer's young son was capable of transmitting a share on the uh, on behalf of his father's. How could it be like it could reach his father's way, you know? Father was such a special person. The Hassam Sefer was unbelievable. A big tzaddik. How in the world can uh, how how in the world can uh, you know the Hassam Sefer uh, ever be? Um, how could the Hassam Sefer be? Uh, you know the the Hassam Sefer, the son of the Hassam Sefer, be? Um, the, able to reach his father's uh, way of saying a shirim. Well, after the Talmidim heard the Kasav Sefer Shurim, which were brilliant in their death and clarity. Oh no. What so no? You said death. Right. Death means the underneath. Death means it goes very deep and it sunk in. Oh no, the ship sunk? No, not the ship sunk. When somebody gives a shear. When somebody gives a, a, a drasha, when somebody, when your rabbi gives a share, it's called, when he goes into you, when it sinks into you, it's called depth. Oh, okay. And the clarity of thought, they were astounded by this genius. And they heard the Hassam Sefer to praise his son. Our Rav is fortunate that he was able to have such a son, they said. Tears of happiness appeared in the Hassam Sefer's eyes. Wow. He replied to them, do you think that I was Zeichet to such a son for nothing? You should know that I was Zeichet to him through a big, big, I cried a lot. I davened a lot. From that day, from the day that my son was born, a tefillah did not pass by that I didn't cry. Uh, he should succeed in terms. This is the secret of success. Kindleach, the secret of success. You know what the, the secret of success is? do a lot and it's amazing you could uh, you know uh, crying and feel a, it's unbelievable um anyways another story wow this one sounds very good oh no Schmelke you didn't read my story again did you um, I read it, I read it once, I read it twice, and the third time was a joke. Well, you can't make jokes while I'm on the air. And, well, no joking aside, putting all joking aside, let it, let's continue, shall we? Oh, okay, good. Uh, paying attention. Anyways, a different story. Many years ago, in Pressburg, which was known as, later, as Bratis. Lava, Bratislava. Uh, you know, it's an interesting name. I, I never heard of such a town, but I heard of the town Pressburg. was a great center of Torah learning. It was the site... <laughs> Pardon me. It was the site of one of the foremost yeshivas in the world. 
That was the great rabbi, the Hassan Sefer. Another story about the Hassan Sefer? Yeah, another story about the Hassan Sefer. Why? Because uh, we like saying stories here. Uh, can you not tell so many stories? Why not? Because if you tell so many stories, then I'm not going to have anywhere to say story. Well, Schmelke, I'll tell you what. In two weeks, if I don't ha have anybody in studio... You don't have anybody in studio? You have me! Oh, I'm sorry, Schmelke. Of course, I have you. I have Schmolly. I have... Uh, well, Beryl is on his way. Uh, I think Beryl is actually uh, texting me right now. He's coming. He's coming in right now. As a matter of fact, he, I believe he's coming in in a second. Yeah, I just didn't door. You just walked in the door, Beryl. So late. You walked in so late to the studio. It's already 7.36. Beryl, how are you? I'm very good. Beryl, what do you do, uh... What do you do, uh, in, uh, life? Well, I do, uh, I daven three times a day. You daven three times a day? Uh, yeah. That's terrific. Fantastic. Beryl, how old are you? Twelve years old. Beryl, are you a little shy? Is that why you're talking so low? Yeah. Okay. Well, Beryl, I'm going to read a story now. And if you uh, like it, you can uh, say, I like it. I like it. But I never said the story yet. Okay. Well, many years ago. You're starting from the beginning. Yeah. How did you know? Because I was outside the door the whole time. Oh, Beryl, you're tricky. Many years ago in Pressburg, which was later known as Bratislava, was a great center for Torah learning. It was the site of the foremost yeshivas in the world. That was the great rabbi, the Hassan Sefer. Well, after the passing of the Hassan So this is basically a little bit of a continuation, right? We said before that the Kassav Sefer was the son of the Hassan Sefer, and the Kassav Sefer gave share. He started out giving share when the Hassam Seifer was alive. So, in the time of the Kassav Seifer, there lived a wealthy person in that city who took the great mitzvah of supporting the people. And he always uh, did uh, Kaddish for the Avelim, for those who unfortunately didn't have any children. So he's the one who said Kaddish. Wow, that's such a big mitzvah. Yeah, it really is a big mitzvah. Anyways, this davening is normally said by a child of a person uh, of, uh, you know, the, let's say, uh, let's say somebody, uh, person A passes away and child A has to say Kaddish. And child B also has to say Kaddish for person A. The mitzvah was very dear to the wealthy woman. It was her very special kind of tzedakah. For many years, she made the generous donation to Hassan Sefer Yeshiva. Well, what happened was, anytime somebody said Kaddish for her husband, she gave tzedakah, and she always gave tzedakah because you know why? Because the Kaddish is so special. Tefillah, Tefillah is so special. For many years, she made a big donation to the Hassan Sefer Yeshiva in Pressburg, which was later known as Bratzalava. Very good, Shmelki. Well, on the conditions that one of the students would always say Kaddish, after many years, 
the woman's business began to fail. And all of a sudden, uh-oh, that's not good. No, it isn't so good. But but you know what? We are uh, always diving for the good uh, for people. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully it uh, comes out to be good. But that's not good that uh, somebody uh, uh, who donates so much money um, that he should not have uh, any money. Right. Well, uh, truth is, right. I agree with you on that one. That he should, some, nobody should uh, suffer like that. That you shouldn't have any more money. But you know what? Sometimes having no money is a test from Hashem. Wow. So it must have been a big, awful test. Um, No, actually, tests are, uh, you know, if you complete them in a good charm, then you get a big reward. So tests are not so bad. Hey, I don't like tests. No, you don't like tests. Nobody likes tests. But when you get them... Is there a surprise quiz? No, no surprise quizzes here. No surprise quizzes? Right. Okay. Well. Can I continue, Schmelke, now? Yeah. Continue. Good. Oh, well. Well, after many years, the woman, her business began to fail, and she went to visit Rabbi Seifer, the Kassav Seifer, and told him how she felt so unable to give Sadako for being able people to say Kaddish. She was so attached. And though she can't pay for anybody to say God, that should be continued. When the luck changed and her business improved, she promised to give tzedakah again. The rabbi agreed, and she left the yeshiva. Quiet happy. I'm well, Shmelki, I'm almost done this story, and you're you're gonna have your say, okay? Well, this woman also had daughters who needed to uh, get married, but she was so concerned about the problem of the cottage that she forgot about the uh, and uh, to mention this to the Kassav Sefer. As she left the yeshiva, she asked an elderly person who asked her, Why do you look so worried? She replied, I have become poor and no longer have money. I need to pay for the people to say cottage and marry off my daughters. The man asked her, And how much do you need? She replies, a large sum of money. We don't know exactly how much. We don't know exactly how much. It doesn't. It didn't say in the story. Well, to her complete amazement, the man told her that he was a very wealthy person and he's going to be happy to give however the man said that the banker might question it. I suggest that two yeshiva students witness my actual writing so that their testimony will validate the banknote. Well, she came to the bank. Upon seeing the signature on their banknote, he fainted. Why did he faint? What's going on? What happened? Why did he faint? The woman was wondering, why did he faint? I don't understand. Why did he faint all of a sudden like that? He sort of note and fainted? I mean, what happened here? When the banker revived, when he got back to himself, he said, I'll tell you, my, my father passed away and died a number of years ago. 
But last night I had a very dream, a very interesting dream about him. In my dream, it seems that my father stood before me exactly as he was, as he was alive. And he looked very sternly into the eyes. A woman will come into the bank tomorrow and present you with a banknote from me, requesting a large sum of money. You must take the money and give it to her at once. I stood spellbound gazing at my father at his speech in the dream. My son, you should know that since you, my only beloved son, married a guy and abandoned Yiddishkeit, it's only this woman's tzedakah which saves me from the gate of the Ganem. This woman has for many years taken from her own funds to pay for Kaddish to be retired for the Neshamas of those who have no one to say Kaddish for. He explained to me that for his Neshama to be thus comforted and for the salvation to continue for this uh, Yeshua to come. It was incumbent upon me to supply this good woman with the money. You can imagine my enormous shock when the dream actually came true. When you entered the bank, I immediately recalled the dream, but when I looked at the note and recognized my father's signature, the shock was way too much for me, and that is why I fell to the floor. My father came from the other world to ensure that his neshama would be elevated by the cottage, which this woman provided to him and to others as well. Well, after this extraordinary experience, the banker returned to Yiddishkeit and his wife became a righteous convert, became a uh, gearist. When the previous Labarcha Rebbe met Rev Yosef Chaim Sonnenfeld and Shalim, the two came to discuss this wondrous story. Rev Sonnenfeld told the previous Rebbe that he himself was the one of the two students who witnessed the old man, the banker's father, signing the note of this charitable woman. Wow, boys and girls, men and gentlemen, everyone, wow. Imagine that story, amazing, unbelievable story. Uh, if you didn't hear the story, I'm going to say it a little bit. Basically, what happened was this woman, she gave tzedakah for yeshiva. She gave tzedakah that people should uh, be able to say Kaddish for people who never don't have kids, who never don't have anybody to say Kaddish for them. And this person came to his son in a dream and mentioned and said, you have to give this woman money. Why? Because... She is doing a job that she's elevating my neshama, which nobody else is doing. And imagine that. So, yeah. So, boys and girls, if you have a, let's say, a great-grandfather, uh, a, a great a Bubby or Zadie, and, uh, you know, your Zadie's father is not alive anymore, then you, by davening for the neshama, and saying to Hillem, in honor of the Neshama, gives the Neshama an Aliyah, gives the, it's a, you know, a big talent. The, the, let's say your Zaydi doesn't have a father or a mother, and you're saying, uh, you're, you're learning for him, and you're learning extra special in Yeshiva, and you, you and Yeshiva, boys and girls, everyone, you, you and Yeshiva, you and your base medrash, you and Shul, you could, you could mamish uplift a neshama, like you can have a mind. You know, let's say you don't know the person's uh, name, you can have a mind that I'm learning for people who never didn't have kids that the neshama should go higher. And you know, you never know where you could get to. You never know it can go to so much. And uh, with that. 
we have more stories. Wow. Believe it or not, the Hassam Sefer, no, a story about the Hassam Sefer. And I think this is going to be one of the last stories because time is running out here. Um, I guess my friend didn't uh, come in yet. And uh, so he'll maybe try again next week. But the Hassam Sefer, Olaf HaShalom, used to travel regularly to a hot spring for therapy and would stay there at a guy's house. Once a yid in town invited the Hassam Sefer. At first he declined, but at the instance of a yid, the, yid, the tzaddik the tzaddik finally relented. A short time later, the yid began spreading negative rumors about the Hassam Sefer, accusing him of hypocrisy and uh, not observing. Hassam Sefer confronted the person. What could I have possibly done to make you lose so much respect? man said, I passed by your door this morning and saw you eat without making cares. What kind of yid does that? Hassam Sefer was stunned. He had down much early in the morning and had already made kids before, and this yid simply misunderstood. However, one thought bothered him. Why did he deserve that in his old age for someone to come and say bad things about him? Hassam Sefer did a lot of searching until it suddenly hit him. He had always been disturbed by the thought that unworthy leaders may rise among the yid and threatening our very existence as the followers would stumble after their leader. Yet, through this unfortunate incident, Hashem had shown him that his fears were unfounded. He had given the Torah to the most brazen of peoples, to the most the people who are, you know, who accept nothing without careful uh, looking into. So, basically, a big tzaddik, uh, every big tzaddik, that uh, you know, big tzaddikim, they always look into their actions. Let's say the well, same thing with Lashon Hara. If you know, if you don't know, if something, if I'm gonna say, hey, you know what? Um, better not to say it. Let's say you say Shmelki's a sleepyhead. That's not nice, Shmelki. I didn't mean it. See, Shmelki even says that it wasn't nice. Yeah. So those type of things can uh, really do a lot of damage. Anyways. After all, at the time the story took place, the Hassam Sefer was already a Rav and Rosh Hashiva for many years. Nevertheless, this simple householder did not hesitate to take the great Sadak to task for not making cash over the wine on Shabbos morning. The people themselves would assure their leaders to the highest standards. And, uh, okay, now another story. And I believe that would be the last story. And then I'm going to... Let me just change, you know, we're going to, you know, today, you know what was today? The outside of uh, Baba Sali. Yeah, no, of course. A lot of stories about Baba Sali. Well, guess, you, you want know, to say, you know what, Nisim? We're inviting you right now to say a story about the Baba Sali. What do I you say? I guess you catch me. Uh, and, uh, you know, many, many stories about the Baba Sali. I just, let me just. Uh, uh, any about the flying carpet? Uh, no. Uh, fly, <laughs> oh, the, 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 by the way, the flying carpet, that's why they, came, they get the name, the Abu Hatzera. Right. Abu Hatzera, this is the, uh, the, the grand grand grandfather of uh, of Baba Sali. The story that uh, they get the name because there was a big big uh, storm in the in the in the, um, in the right, Mediterranean, right. and then he basically uh, he used the the, the is is mat, you know. Hatzera is is like yeah. mat, you know, like like a small mm -hmm. uh, straw mat, you know. They used to use it to sit on it. Right. And this is Abu Hatzera, the father of the, the you know, the, the Hatzera. This is what is, this, how they descended. 
all this dance dynasty of Abu Hatzera, but it's a huge huge stories about um, all 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 the Abu Hatzera family from, mm-hmm. and I tell you that uh, I had I had the school to be uh, to see his grandchildren, uh, Rabbi Kutiel and Abu David Abu Hatzera, and, right. and all, uh, it's unbelievable stories. You know, uh, you cannot even just oh, talking about. I an actually hour. just found a story about the Baba Sali, okay. but. If you want to finish okay, up no, your okay, story. No, your story. No, tell a story. Well, there was a person from Halon was scheduled to Hulon. have... Halon. Huh? Yeah, from Halon. Halon. Oh, I'm sorry. Boys and girls. Oh, uh, my the Hebrew. I'm, uh, I'm reading off a... Uh, I'm reading off... Uh, I'm uh, reading off over here. A young and old man and woman observant and uh, people who are not from and from Sephardim and uh, Ashkenazim came to the tzaddik where Baba Sali and the Tevot, seeking his bracha and help. Once a person from Halon, Eliyahu, was scheduled to have his legs amputated. Amputated means, chas v'shalom, means cut off, meaning they had to take it off because he had some type of an infection. He had some type of yenamachlo over there. Well, anyways, he had already spent much time in the hospital. The procedure was to take place on a Friday. The Thursday, an elderly woman came and suggested that he receive a bracha from Baba Sali before the operation. She says that she knew of someone who had been paralyzed, yet, and was healed through Baba Sali. Well, although Eli was not uh, from, okay, he decided, I'm gonna go. And he went. He didn't even ask, the, you know, he didn't even go to the Baba Sali and say, I need a bracha. He didn't even say anything. He just sat on the chair, waiting room, after many hours, finally his turn came to custom before anything to approach Baba Salia's couch. You have to go uh, kiss him on the hand. Kiss his hand. Because that's the way they did in those days. I guess still it must... today. It's still today. It's still today for Spartan, right? Yes. It's a big Spartan. It's a big Kabbalistic thing. No Kabbalistic. It's, it's appreciation. It's appreciation. Like you shake, it's oh, like okay. you shake you shake hand somebody, mm-hmm. but this is a appreciation. Huh. You shake your, your kisses and it's not, it's not yeah. something that uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> it is something that really, when you appreciate, nobody somebody, ever kissed my hand. Oh, uh, maybe I'm so. No, maybe, smoking. Maybe, no, 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 maybe, we're not asking maybe, to do it. Maybe, maybe one day. <laughs> well, but because of the advance of uh, the infection of his leg and the crippling pain that accompanied it, Ellie was unable even to rise to enter the room. Well, following the Baba Sally's instruction, the rabbinic Simi, his wife, approached Ellie and asked, "Do you put on tefillin? Do you keep Shabbat? Do you say brachot?" And his sincerity, he said to him, if you do my will and observe Shabbos and do complete tshuva, then Hashem too will listen to my will. With great emotion, Eli said, I accept upon myself the obligation to observe Shabbos and all its details. I'll promise to do tshuva, to return to the way and to do become a Baal at that. Papa Sali's director, Eli, was served tea. After he drank it, the abundance suggested that being that the Rav had given him a bracha, he should try to get up or to go and kiss the Rav's hand. After much effort and pain, Ellie managed to rise. He couldn't believe it. His legs were obeying him. So imagine that. Here you have a crippled Nabuch, crippled person, and he got up right in front of the Baba Sali after agreeing to do tshuva. And he got up. Imagine that. And his legs were working. Shakily, he walked over to Baba Sali and kissed his hand. By then, nearly with uh, unbelievable shock and joy, he began to thank Baba Sali. 
Robin dropped down and said with a smile, don't thank me. Just say, blessed are those who sanctify his name publicly. Well, as if in a dream, Ellie stumbled out of the door and descended the stairs. He experimented walking this way and that. He had to know, was he really awake? Could this really be happening? Well, on his new legs, he went over to Yeshiva Sanhega, not too far of the Babasali. When the students realized that he were, they were seeing the results of the miracle, they surrounded Ellie with dancing and singing and words of praise from, uh, for the Rebbein Shalom. Rejoicing, being very happy in his ability to walk, Ellie returned home of the Babasali to say goodbye properly and thank him again. He also expressed his fear that his legs would relapse. Don't worry. In the merit of your promise to return and to do tshuva and to keep Shabbos, Hashem is going to watch you. Well, leaving Baba Salah's house again, Eli telephoned his wife. I'm all better, he said. His wife figured that fear of surgery had caused him to lose two or three hourly. Are you coming home? She asked with concern. Well, you go straight to the hospital. Eli told his wife what he had promised Baba Salah. The brocha he received from Salah and the improvements that he had already occurred. As soon as he hung up, he called his doctor at Echo Hospital in Tel Aviv and told him of this cure. The doctor told Ellie back to the following day and to stop acting crazy. Gotta come to the hospital. That's what the doctor said. Ellie did go to the hospital. The doctor was barely able to accept the evidence of his eyes. After a few days and many tests, Ellie was released. The first thing he did was to return to the vote to thank the Rav The Rav requested of his house a Suda At the end of the meal, Bob Sali blessed a bottle of water and told Ellie to deliver it to the hospital and to, and uh, drink a lechayim to, from it and tell him at Babasali not to be so hasty to cut the legs off. Well, the Babasali's Gabai during most of his years in the Tivot, Rav Elio Al-Fasi reported that he once asked the Babasali how he performed his miracles at Tzadik Antar Believe me, Elio, all I did was to, to tell him to stand up. So you hear, it's unbelievable. The, uh, and here is a little bit about Rabbi, the Babasali he died 4th of Shvat, which was uh, today morning, and uh, he was uh, uh, 1984, and he was one of the big Kabbalistic people in uh, Morocco. And that was, I was the, in the world. I would say in the world. In the whole world, all right, in the whole world. Anyways, Kindleach, the part back to Parsha question. Okay. So we're going back all the way up to the question. We asked this question, this week's question. Why did the firstborn animals die? We know the Bacharim died. Why did the firstborn animals die? And if you know the answer to that question, you can text me at 347-927-3279 to be in a raffle. Sponsorship, sponsorship is available and you can advertise with us on JRU Radio. Just email. What are we emailing, Nissim? Uh, you email, your email. My email, newkishroniehour at gmail.com, N-E-W-K-I-S-H-R-O-N-I-H-O-U-R at gmail.com or text 347-927-3279. This has been the Kishroni Hour. Official Shakhtar, follow me and Bez Hashem, great shows to follow. Don't go away. Stay with us.